0: Now, here's your host of sound off, Brad Bennett.
1: All righty, we are back. Yes, we are. We're having way too much fun. The, the break flew by there. Uh, we have, of course, this is the time of the year, uh, time of the month, the last Wednesday of every month. We have one of the best-liked segments that we do all month long, and I'm getting a little bit tired of Peter taking all the thunder away from our regular show. But, uh, but it happens, and I, I thought it would last a month or two, and here we are. What, three years later? A little like over
0: three years later, Brad. Thanks for having us in again. It's great to be back. Uh, it's nice out. It rained a little bit, but uh, the yes. sun was shining here very nice. But
1: you got um, a great guest with you. Today. Yes, yes. And, and when you told me about your guest, is it Chuck Shear? Yes. Okay. When you told me, uh, and and you said he manufactures shims, I thought you gotta be kidding me. How do you? Ma- and then I remembered the last time I was at Home Depot, I was buying screws or something—a box of screws for a deck—and I remember seeing that package of shims a- at Home Depot. So you actually—that's your whole job—is you're making shims.
2: That's all we do. We make shims all day long, five days a week, 52 weeks a year. And we ship them all over the world.
1: Unbelievable. Well, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Uh, but before we do that, Peter, I noticed you, uh, this is the first time I've seen you that you haven't had some kind of flowered Hawaiian shirt on or something. You actually have a logger shirt on today.
0: This is actually the first time I wore an actual logger shirt. Yes, I'm wearing a plaid shirt from the Lumberjack Championships that we saw in Hayward last, at the beginning of the month, actually. Yeah. And so... I'm probably walking around Duluth thinking there's somebody who wants to be a lumberjack someday. He says lumbersexual guy that's got he doesn't fit it at all, but actually this is the first time I wore a shirt that I'm supposed to wear.
1: So did you go down to the lumberjack? We days? actually
0: didn't I, we went my whole family went down. We had a great time. We watched these guys compete. It's it's the venue the area is kind of on the smaller side. It's not real big, big, yeah. you know, but very family oriented. Excellent show, a lot of people. Um. Very, very well orchestrated. Yeah, yeah that's um, what I've heard. What I saw was very good competition. The chainsaws really do zip through the wood, really trim. And... Guy do
1: that was here? Okay, Nate
0: Hodges, who was here, he did really good on the chopping. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see him compete, compete on everything. I see okay. him do, I think, chopping, and I think it was the power saws. Thing is, it was one day. Was, Thursday was one day. We went on a Friday, and then okay. they still had the championships on Saturday. We didn't stay for that. Okay. We just went down for the part of just the one day. And, and you got we got a good flavor. It saw DJ and talked to him for a little bit, and Nate just a little bit, because he was in his... Nate is in competitive form when it's going on, so I just uh, said hello yeah. at the very end. Yeah, didn't want to bother him, didn't yeah. want to talk to him. He's
1: doing a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> he
0: ready. really went at it. You know, <laughs> it's fun to watch the log. I would say I enjoyed watching the pole climbing, watching those guys fly down. You think, how do they physically take that when they hit the bottom? But I never saw anybody hit really, really hard. But they came, they're coming down pretty fast. Another thing that I was really impressed about there's two things. One was uh, the senior competitors, fifty plus. And I saw two guys there doing the underhand chop where they stand on the block and they chop the wood between their feet. Yep. I seen an 80-year-old guy doing it, and oh I seen a 79-year-old guy doing it. And they give them starting. You could say, okay, the 80-year-old guy goes, and the other guys are waiting, 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 yeah. waiting to go. Yeah. To the Handicap or whatever they call it. I don't remember. Time handicap. Yeah, that's like it. Like we'll that. try and be nice about this, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not a lumberjack. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> But then there was a 79-year-old guy who went at it. And I'll tell you what, he was in great shape. He was probably around 5'8", maybe 5'10", probably 170 pounds, I'm going to
1: guess. Just one of them wiry guys. And
0: he went through that wood. He won. And he went unbelievably fast. And it looked like, you know, most people at that age, they take two swings. They're bending over, grabbing their knees and puffing and puffing. (laughs) He kept going through that. And this is probably, I'm going to say, a 16-inch log or whatever. Yeah. He didn't stop. He, he chopped through one side, spun around, went through the other side, and I thought, this guy is smoking. Yeah. He's 79 years old, and he's going through this like it's butter? Obviously, he won. He did yeah. win, but I was like, 79. Do you recall where he was from? I thought he was from Wisconsin. It was okay. either Wisconsin or Minnesota. Got to you know? be a Finlander.
1: <laughs> Got to be. Got to be. Got to be. Yeah. Probably, or a Swede. Probably just one spends all his time out in the woods chopping trees. i going to he's German. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't whatever. know. have no clue. Did, the, you, uh, did you happen to see Congressman Duffy down there anywhere? I didn't see him anywhere, no. Isn't that uh, kind of the sad news uh, that came out on him yesterday or the day uh, before? A little bit, He's yeah. He's going to resign yeah. uh, from Congress. Uh, there's always
0: uh, maybe personal issues or whatever family. Well, there are.
1: His I, wife is I, um, pregnant with their ninth child. Can you imagine?
0: No, I don't know what's going through his mind, actually. Uh, I have
1: no idea. And, but But then he said she's got some real medical yes. issues. She's yeah. going to have to have the... She's going to be, they're going to do operation on the child while it's still in her stomach. It's, it, it's to me, when I listen to that,
0: it's a very sad situation because it could go either way for yep. them. And I we, we wish them the best. I did not see Congressman Duffy there at all. Okay, He, he probably, he might there. I heard some names of Duffy of the younger kids. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was pressed in, there were some young kids that were doing the log rolling. That was really something. And the other thing I noticed was very impressive, just to finish this out, is the the, the support staff. when When... They were doing like the log climbing or something over on our side. They were resetting all the blocks and everything. And those individuals, there's a ton of people that get up on that stage and pull the blocks off, put new blocks on. They're sweeping off, getting it all clean, ready for next event. Because every event, there was very little delay. Sure. Boom, boom, boom. And you watch all these people, a bunch of people, jump up on stage. They're cleaning it up. They're working. It's like a well-oiled machine, just a beautiful job, and boom, 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 and they're done, and they're ready for the next competition. Well, they've
1: done it for years, and they know how to professionally pull these things you know, off, boy.
0: The Hayward area, the, those people really worked at. was just a great show, and if you get a chance next year and you want to go go watch it, it's really something. But I just want to bring that up, how that went, so people get a good understanding. And I wore the shirt, yeah, the plaid shirt.
1: good on you. <laughs> But so let's chuck let's uh, talk to Chuck here now chuck, <laughs> chuck seriously shims where did the word come from in the first place Do you have any idea?
2: I think it was just coined in the industry because you need, just need to shim things up yeah and um how uh, but where
1: did you come up with the concept that hey, this is something we could manufacture, we could actually because as I said when you when he first brought you in, I said there, whenever you need a shim, you can't find it. You know, so, you, you, you look for something, you need to prop up a door a little bit while you put the screws in or something, and you lo- go to look for a piece. You always got the wrong size, the wrong piece. You end up cutting something. Now, you bundle them in different sizes.
2: That is correct. And where the shim started w- at is with Wilbert Nelson up in Mountain Iron, Minnesota. He worked okay. in the mines, and off to the side he did carpentry. And one of the things that happened is is he was always using cedar shake shingles to shim things up. Oh sure, sure, and, because they
1: come to different sizes. And yeah.
2: that's what was available. But he said that's not what I want. So he started making what he wanted. And then one day he had an idea. He got up in the morning, kind of sketched it out, and he went out into the garage and started to put put together what he had. You know, he was he was a, a guy that was very creative, just like a lot of the fins up on the range. And yep. he uh, found some wash machine parts and some other parts he had laying around, and he couldn't figure out how he was going to put the wood blank through the shim machine he looked around his garage and this is why the shims were developed up on the range northern minnesota not arizona because okay. what he found was two hockey pucks and he looked at them and he drilled holes through the center of them and those were the drive wheels for the first shim machine so that's why You're nelson wood shim started up on the range because many many years ago they didn't have air conditioning and ice and stuff like oh, that no, no. Oh, so it, it happened up here because of the because hockey of the industry hockey and it being cold and uh and Wilbert wanted to to get this product so he started making it for himself and he liked it and then he started giving it to some contractor friends and they liked it and then he started selling it to lumberyards okay. and uh, so he was doing this while working at the mines for many years and then 59 years ago he finally had enough business to where he actually started nelson wood shim. so, so we, he
1: could drop out of the mine and go full-time making yep. shims
2: yeah so that happened in 1960
1: so so what kind of did he have to come up with his own wood supply or or was he uh, taking leftover product from someplace or how did he come up with? it?
2: Initially, he started with scraps that he had from construction building and okay. then he would get scraps from other guys and then he'd get scraps from trust plants. And, and eventually his demand got big enough to where he just started working directly with the lumber mills.
1: Did he, did he have uh, how do I put this? Did he have some reluctance from from lumberyards when he first walked in with his stack of shims and said, hey, you guys should have some of these shims available for contractors?
2: There was pushback because we found a lot of contractors have an illness. It's called creature of habit. Yeah. And yeah. Their, their granddad used cedar shake shingles, and their dad used cedar shake shingles, so they were used to that. Sure. So uh, he gave out enough product where they would use it. And then they would come back and buy it. And then he knew he was on to something.
1: Okay. So he started doing samples, like, you know, take some of these as a sample. Give them out to people. Yeah. And And then they liked them, and they said, i got to buy some of them.
2: Yeah. So it continued to develop. And then in the early 80s, uh, Wilbert sold to Jerry Snustead, who then moved the business over to Cohasset, Minnesota. And Jerry really developed the packaging that uh, really worked for retail.
1: And you look at the packaging. I mean, it just says shims. It says uh, Nelson Wood Shims, and I love it printed right on it in big, bold letters, made in the USA. Yeah. So they know it's a USA item. In you can the USA. Yeah. Cohasset, Minnesota. Made in Cohasset, yeah, just Minnesota. Just the other side USA. of Grand Rapids. Now, you can buy these at most lumber yards. I've seen them at Home Depot. You got them all over the country.
2: Well, you know, we feel very fortunate because we've been able to sell it to all the box stores and the uh, co-ops and uh, a lot of two-step distributors, and we've done business with them for many years. And the Nelson brand is known. So a lot of times people come in and say, they don't ask for shims. They go, you got some Nelsons? And we're very proud <laughs> that uh, the brand is, is that well-known around the around the country.
1: Now, you say that the plant, the manufacturing plant is in Cohasset? That is correct. Okay. Now, how many people work there? Fifty. Fifty people work making shims built that's amazing see when you when you think about things like this, you never ever think when i even when I saw them in Home Depot, I just thought, well, some guy's gathering scraps and throws them and puts a label on them and sells them in the store but no, you're actually manufacturing them from lumber um you know do you have your own then you have uh contracts with loggers that bring you equipment right into the plant
2: and- so we work with uh, quite a few loggers and um on the um, on our basswood shim that's marketed as as betterwood we developed that a little over seven years ago and that's the bigger yellow bundle that okay. you'll see in in the box stores and it's got 42 shims to a bundle but uh, kenny
1: we should take some pictures of these and put them on our facebook we too. we will we okay. will so that's basswood yeah
2: that's basswood oh and uh, that's worked out really well because a lot of times in the past the loggers had trouble getting rid of the basswood and uh they they didn't have a market for it while well, we developed this basswood marketed as better wood and the reason it's called better wood is because the contractors kept saying it was much better than what was out there in cedar shims it's got a better snap better for nailing better quality they didn't have to pick through it yep the snap is very important to the contractors and um well Pete are there groves of basswood in northern minnesota where where does the wood come from i mean uh in
0: my area we don't really do a whole lot of basswood it's yeah. kind of in certain areas like Chuck can explain some of that, um, we don't really sell. I really don't sell the chuck actually. Oh, okay. but it's such a great story at how uh, folks. Let me just back this up. Just the hair, hair for sure. you, okay? Sure. Um, the timber industry is all hooked together. It's kind of like it's all meshed together like a like a rope. Yeah. Okay. You have different plants that consume different wood, but the forest grows all different types of trees, and so as the trees grow and we are harvesting it. We will not sell all our wood to, like, Lake Spirit Paper here in Duluth. We will not sell all our wood to, like, uh, and Cloquet or Two Harbors or Hayward or to Cohasset for Nelson Woodchimps. You have a different variety all the time. But what you do need is you need these, all these plants working at the same time so that as the loggers can sell their, pl- their product to one mill and some more product to another mill, and they, they go different directions. Okay. Now, if you lose one mill, you could actually take out two. Or three. Because, okay, if you if you lose like a Lake Spirit paper and all of a sudden they do not consume any softwood, now all of a sudden your softwood becomes less valuable. Okay? okay. If, you lose, if you lose like a Blandin, you could lose all of a sudden your softwood over there. You want to keep them all going because when that starts to snap, you will lose other businesses. Sure. So Nelson Wood Shims is one of the businesses that is very, very important because before when we would have some basswood come through, a lot of times if we could sell it a little bit, or it became like biofuel, you chipped it up, and a lot of people didn't want it. So with what Nelson's do with Chuck, it's an excellent, excellent outlet for selling a product. Yeah. So we're all hooked together, folks, to where we're all needed, and we're working on another some more businesses that I can't talk about right now to come back and in, come into Minnesota, and hopefully we will have more markets so that places like Nelson Woodchim's will have a better, more abundant supply because they cannot run on empty. No, no, no businesses, kidding. We're all hooked together.
1: Chuck, uh, about how many cords of wood do you guys go through in a year? Do you have any? Well,
2: sure uh, typically about twelve thousand cords a year.
1: A year. okay. Yeah. and
2: on a truckload, you typically see about thirteen. In the wintertime, maybe fourteen cords if it's got a if it's got a boom on it. Okay. Um, the bunk trucks, you might see fifteen cords on it. So we're in between nine hundred and a thousand truckloads. Wow. Of.
1: Best amazing one. you would never think that just to make wood shims a couple of packages you sell them in two different sizes or more than we, we've that we've got ain't? more than that i okay. just
2: brought a couple of samples with but we've got a number of different packages depending upon the the market that we're after this uh
1: this particular one i'm looking at here has 42 shims in it it's a little bigger shim uh i don't know if they come in sizes or what they are but this is a a little bit bigger package than the one that i've seen and actually bought I have one of those in my garage and that one only has maybe six shims in it, or maybe less. I don't know what it's got.
2: Usually, this is a twelve pack.
1: That's a twelve. Okay. Yeah. Like a- Unbelievable. Well, again, I'm kind of curious on the basswood. Uh, where did where does the wood come from? Do they just, again, are there groves of basswood? Do they just find? A, I, and they grow large. I know they grow in what? Like uh, they've got trunks of uh, th- three trunks when they get mature. There's three trunks in a basswood. If I.
2: Yeah, you'll see three to five clumped together. The basswood yeah. typically grows in with the other hardwood. So where you've got oak and maple in that heavy soil, okay. you'll see the basswood. So um, most of the basswood we get is within an 80-mile radius of us. And what's really interesting is there's so much out there that we consume less than, and this is the key word, 1% of the sustainable harvest really? within an 80-mile radius of us. So there's that much out there.
1: Is it, uh, check, is it a harder wood than most or no, softer it's, it's or softer it, it is okay yeah.
2: and it uh, it's it's just a, a great product in the way it performs
1: okay easy to manufacture easy to ch- cut up into segments and
2: well i wouldn't say easy it we've invested millions to, to get the production up to where it is to where it needs to be so that we can sure. produce it at a at a competitive price and and, and still give the consumer quality product that uh, they'll come back and buy
1: again now, is this a product that you sell not only nationally but maybe overseas as well?
2: Yeah, through our channels of distribution, we hit about thirty-seven different countries. Wow! And we do have plenty of competitors. There's competitors here in the U.S., Canada, China. So it's um, you're dealing in an international market.
1: Really, on the international market for shims? I'm <laughs> like, jeez! I'll tell you, you, learn something new every day in this show. It's incredible. I, I would have thought there might be one company making shims, I wouldn't have thought anybody was making them. But now you tell me there's national competition, the Chinese are in it, that's got to be competitive as you know what. <laughs>
2: it is. I've been in the wood business since I've been 14 years old. When I started out, I grew up in a major metropolitan area called Embarrass, Minnesota. Oh yeah, One sure. of 13 kids. There were seven boys, six girls. My dad said he didn't know what was happening, he just had to buy more spoons. <laughs> But because of that, we had to be financially independent at age three. I can remember being out picking potato bugs, picking rocks, picking pine cones, picking pine boughs. In the springtime, we'd be out in the woods with a broken uh, spring leaf off a truck peeling popple for the loggers. And um, we just i've always been in the wood business and i've really enjoyed it you know we were who did you have in the studio a while back that had a, a an implement that was shaped like a spring leaf from oh, a okay, that was
0: about almost a year ago mike sanico from ironer wisconsin sure. he brought his he brought his tools that he used as yeah. a kid and how the peeling took place i was more fortunate i never had to do the peeling end okay but most people did you know you know, oh, yeah. you see those
1: peelers l- yeah. a lot of times in at- antique stores now. They're selling them just as a, uh, an object to hang on the wall or something. You usually see them rusted, and they got two wooden handles on them. And they're all over the place.
2: Yeah, and now that uh, doesn't happen anymore. The, the logging equipment can peel it if if, if necessary, or the mills. Sure,
1: sure. Wow. Well, we've got to take our uh, break, folks, so uh, you guys hang loose. We'll be right back after this uh, quick, important break here on Sound Off in the Morning. Let the Sawdust Fly segment.
0: Green Bay Packers football
1: on 710 and FM 98.1. WDSM,
0: you're sounding off with Brad Bennett. Call him now at 722-7500 or 800-388-2428. 710 WDSM, the talk of the north.
1: Giant Redwood, Larch. The fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing i'm a lumberjack and i'm okay i sleep all night and i work all day he's
2: a lumberjack and he's okay he sleeps all night and he works
1: all day i cut down trees i eat my lunch i go to the laboratory the <laughs> on wednesday i go shopping and have buttered scones for tea you got stum- oh man do you ever do do any tea out in the uh on the woods when you're uh, logging
0: not a whole lot of tea just mostly water <laughs> A little bit of coffee. I've learned to drink a little bit of coffee, but not much. But no, uh, no I'm not. A, I don't care for coffee a whole lot. But it seems to give you a little bit more energy, I guess you could say. I, not so. It drilsy. does with me.
1: I gotta have a couple of strong cups yeah, in the morning. It does work
0: you, a little yeah. bit, but I watch how much I drink of it. But um, no, will you just uh, take your own lunch. You carry it with you. You pretty much eat on the fly. There's no stopping for an hour for lunch or anything. No, we don't do that. It's okay. it's pretty much go, go, go. Rest when you're sitting in the machine, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, Chuck, when we were talking about the idea of the shims, and uh, so they came long before you got involved in this portion of it. Nelson started it, at, what, out of his garage? Or? Out of his garage. Okay.
2: And uh, it, it slowly built from there. And uh, he built a base and finally had a business that was large enough to actually go into business full-time doing that. And it really worked out well. And then, you know, as for me, where this all started when I look back at at it is I was making wooden toys for my uh, nieces and nephews and neighbors. Because okay. at the time, these old metal toys that you used to have when you were little sure. were disappearing. They had these cheap plastic toys that just kind of were floppy. So I started making wooden toys and my dad noticed that. And he said, Charlie, he said, maybe what you should do is there's this Land of the Loon Festival happening in the summer. You should make a bunch of toys and go up there and sell them. So I remember being at age 14, he brought me up there with a pickup, and I had these toilet paper boxes full of uh, wooden toys that I'd made. And okay. um, I set up two saw horses and a piece of plywood and set them up. And I was a very bashful kid. Um, I, I couldn't couldn't say things well. I couldn't pronounce my R's, so I'd say char instead of Charlie. So... <laughs> I couldn't get my R's down, so I finally said, you know what? I'm going to change it to Chuck, and Chuck stuck, so I didn't Here have an R go. to deal with.
1: Yeah, what's your name? Chuck. But, Charlie. Chuck.
2: But really introverted as as a kid.
1: Yeah.
2: And that day, uh, when I was at, at the Land of the Loon Festival, it was the first one, uh, m- these moms had come by with these kids. Well, I could relate to other kids, so I'd talk to them. Well, sure. and, the, and the moms didn't seem too bad either, so that I could start talking to them. Well, by the end of the day, I was talking to everybody, and because I'd built these toys, the salesman came out to me, and I could, I could tell them all the features and benefits of these toys. So sure, sure, That's where it really started for me in, in selling, and then went through high school, uh, worked for East of Dairy for a few years selling milk up the range. Okay. And I really liked the Grand Rapids area, and uh, so that was kind of a connection to Grand Rapids. Sure. And then uh, went off to school to um, St. Cloud for sales and marketing. I got two years of that in under my belt and said, well, that's enough of that, and uh, started selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door up here because there were no jobs. (laughs) And uh, talk about developing endurance uh, by doing that. And I could see that that industry was going to go retail, and that uh, if there was nobody home, it was because both couples were working. So the culture was changing where moms weren't home during the day, so you didn't have anyone to sell to. Sure. And then I was looking for something in the wood industry, and I got hired at a— company called timberline they don't exist anymore but they made wood entertainment centers bookcases and gun cases okay and uh started out working on the floor just working hard and within six months i was running the company and then as i was running the company and developing sales around the country and customers i noticed that uh these flat screen tvs and things like that were starting to come out and electronic tablets and people were going to gun safes rather than gun cases so I saw our industry was in trouble sure and I knew Jerry Snoosted and he was selling the business I didn't have enough money to buy it but he he uh, when the, when he did sell it the new owner was looking for someone to help run it so he interviewed me, and I interviewed him, and I went to work there. And it's been a 23-year so run. out to
1: be a good thing, even though you didn't have the money, you had the knowledge and the ability to run the company, and it worked out good for both. Yeah, didn't know I couldn't do it. So, so I now, just tried. whereabouts in Cohasset are you guys located, or are you on the outside of Cohasset? Cohasset is like a small well. It's not. It's not a suburb of Grand Rapids, but it's just outside of Cohasset. It's it's where everybody remembers the power plant, the yeah. smokestacks that are now clearer clean
2: yes so on that same road that goes to the power plant is where we're located at in You're the, the right hand side yeah you can see it I've from seen highway your, two
1: yeah i've seen your plant i i guess i have seen it i always thought it was just some manufacturing plant wood products plant never even thought it was shims unbelievable so now you you guys market all over the world yep
2: and we've got uh, some great teams that help to make all that happen so it isn't just manufacturing it it's marketing the product, servicing the customer, giving them the turns, and being the most profitable shim line with packaging and, and marketing second to none. So we, we really do work to, to to make ourselves the best-selling shims, and, and that's why you see the packaging as good as it is, sure. and why we work on being displayed well in the stores so that people remember, oh, yeah, I need shims.
1: Okay. Uh, we we have to take our Fox News break at the bottom of the hour when we come back when we talk a little bit more about the distribution system how that works uh, because it, it, it would be very difficult for you to go into every home improvement store uh, Lowe's uh, whoever it happens to be so there's got to be a distribution system do they come to you do you go to them we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back after this break. Catch sound off on your schedule. Download the podcast
0: today at 710wdsm.com.
1: talking to Peter Wood so guys uh, back to our discussion now Um, so the distribution of this around the world is and even in the United States is very interesting for me how it's done you there must be uh, like supply lines that supply Home Depot and Lowe's and all of the big manufacturing and and you just kind of hook on with them or they come in knowing that you have a product that they have a niche for in their stores.
2: Yeah, we go to them. And originally how this started was uh, really uh, hand-to-hand uh, as far as uh, trying to trying to make it because um, Wilbert Nelson was telling me one time when he first was getting this going is that he had to take the back seat of his car out, loaded it up with boxes of shims, and was going and trying to sell it to all these different lumberyards. And he was working his way south towards the cities. And he finally got down to one night, you know, he'd been on the road all day, Hadn't sold anything. He had to sleep in his car that night. Got up the next morning, went into Rogers, sold a whole uh, carload of shims. Really? And had enough money to go back home and and buy groceries and buy some more lumber and get started. So it was very much hands-on distribution in the beginning. And then over time, he finally hooked into Payless Cashways, which they're no longer here today. But that really put him over the top because then you start to use their distribution systems. And that's what we do today is... We manufacture, we market it, we go to the shows, we show it to the contractors, we show it to the contractor yards. We do a lot of things to make sure that we're showing up in every town in across the U.S. And uh, it's very important that our product is seen. So yeah. if we can get it out there to where it's seen and uh, close to the register, it just sells uh, I'll bet extremely you, well.
1: Uh, I'll bet you every carpenter in the country has some of these in his toolbox, don't they?
2: It's our hope. Yeah. It's our hope. Many do
1: well, that's fantastic. I'm I'm so glad you came in this morning because I don't think uh, I would have ever thought. And when you sent me that note yesterday that you were bringing Chuck in this morning, I thought, really? A shim manufacturer? They can actually make a business out of making shims. We're
0: wide, wide range, aren't we? I thought, I'm going to throw Brad a loop here and see what he thinks of this one. All right. And uh, I'm glad Chuck could come in talk about their product. It's To me, when I listen to the stories of the Nelson Wood shims and what took place, over many years of a guy's vision and working out of just his garage and just built into now a multi-million dollar operation. To me, this is the American dream of anybody that that if you really, really want to do something that is needed and you work at it really, really hard, you your dreams can come true of being oh, yeah. your own independent boss. And there's just a living example that still, it can still take place today. It'll continue to take place in the future. Because I believe we live in such a great country where all people can have that opportunity if you want to chase it. Now now listen to the stories. you're willing to work hard (laughs) enough. (laughs) Listen to what he was doing, though. He took the back seat out. Yep. He loaded up his car. He couldn't sell nothing the first day. And the next day, he sells the whole thing. Yeah. Sleeping
1: in the car? Oh, yeah. Are you willing to take that gamble? (laughs) Oh, man. I remember early on in my life, I was running a chain of furniture stores down in the Twin Cities. And they would send me to these motivational speakers that would come into town every once in a while. And I'll never forget the one guy that really impressed me, a guy named Zig Ziglar. Have you ever gone to any of his stuff?
2: Yeah, Zig is very inspirational.
1: Oh, God, he's extremely inspirational. And he got his start selling pots and pans door to door. And he, he always had the start of his speech would go, yeah, and that was during the Depression and I had to go door to door selling my pots and pans. And he said, man, I sold everything. I sold my couch. I sold my car. I sold my home. I couldn't sell any pots and pans, but I sold everything I had to keep me in money. <laughs> but, you know, it it, uh, it ended up to be where he get, found a product, found a niche, and went on with it. And uh, and he used to always be the great motivator. He would always say, if you thought you couldn't do something, you needed a checkup from the neck up. Meaning the problem was right in here in your brain cavity. You were thinking you couldn't do it. And that was stopping you from doing it.
2: Yeah. And today wouldn't be possible without having all these different great teams. You know, we've got different production teams that work together and, and really do well. We've got our office team. We've got our sales team. We've got Uh, great operations manager, plant manager, um, purchasing, um, CFO. We've just got great teams uh, inside the organization. So uh, today I work a lot on, on team building and helping people be the best they can be, give them the tools that they need, the training that they need, and let them succeed. And if we all succeed, we all win.
1: Yeah, Chuck, one more time, go through the number of truckloads of lumber you go through in a year.
2: So, of the basswood logs, yeah. we're going to go through in between nine hundred to a thousand truckloads this, this next year.
1: Unbelievable that there would be that that much. And and you say you got you got competitors, you got other people doing it. So it's a very competitive business too. You got to stay on top of how to market it, how to package it, how to get it out there.
2: Yes, we do. We work at it at it very hard and. And the, that type of work is what really makes a difference because nothing happens till something is sold. Yes. So everything depends upon sales and then sales depends upon everybody else to help it happen.
1: W- what do you see for the future of your business? Are there other things that you've been looking at already that you may want to broaden out into to come up with a product or a concept?
2: Uh, we are looking at different things. One thing that we are selling through our channels to distribution is called a windbag. It's like a pump up bag that you use to help install your doors and windows just makes it a little bit faster you still need shims but we're selling that and then we're looking at several other products we're always looking for new products and uh, because we've penetrated a lot of the shim market and we'd like to develop other other products to go with our current levels
1: of distribution fantastic well, guys, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, just about the time, Peter, that I think we run out of things to talk about and let the star sawdust fly, you come up with something new like this.
0: Well, it's uh, a lot of connections with a lot of people, you know, and you know you get to know people over time, and some will come up to you as time goes on. And it's great to have somebody like Chuck willing to come in and talk about it because without the people out there willing to come and talk about their product, they would, yeah, you'd have a little bit more of a struggle yeah. because – I want I want everybody to understand something that if you're sitting in West Duluth or you're up on the Iron Range and you're listening, I want everybody to walk away with something that yes. they actually learned today that it's a product. It's still part of what I call the hidden industry. You look at Nelson Wood shims, you don't see them in a house. No. But when the builders are building it, they sure do need them.
1: Oh, yeah. And well, that's what I was thinking. I was going to say to our to our listeners, too. Next time you go into Menards or Ace Hardware or wherever you go in, look for these shims. That, that, yeah. they're just called shims that's the manufacturer and they're made in cohasset and takes take some home because you know what the time is going to come when you're going to want them if you're, you're doing them, anything around yeah. your home you're going to have a need for these uh for these items and
0: you're supporting jobs in minnesota yes and uh that also includes wisconsin because there's other industries in wisconsin and even though you cross borders you're still hooked together sure one way or another. And this country is hooked together together all across the nation. So it's important to me that we if there's a story to be told like what Wilbur Nelson went through with his car, going all the way all you know, this is before there was freeways, the cars weren't that good. Oh yeah. This I is could back in the fifties. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: this is not with the wife's and Minivan going eighty miles an hour down the freeway, no, you know. No. It's it's a long trip. So it's 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 really something when I hear these stories that how somebody built something from nothing and now it's a multi-million dollar operation and we still need the raw materials from the forest.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say it's another one of those markets that you talk about Mm -hmm. that you guys got to find more and more of. But it's a market that keeps you in the woods.
0: uh... And it's sustainable. The thing is, folks, it's sustainable. The, The trees in Minnesota right now are outgrowing what we're harvesting by a lot
1: well and what did, what did chuck say yeah they use about one percent of the of the wood yeah, less than one
2: percent of the sustainable harvest so yeah. there's an awful lot of wood still out there in the woods and what we really need is other wood industries to be out there to keep the loggers in the woods sure because no one goes out to harvest basswood it's no. amongst the trees yeah. so we need other wood industries up here to help us continue to have supply
1: well, guys, we've got to go to our last break, uh, so I, I'm going to cut you loose. But thank you, uh, Peter. Thank you, Chuck, for coming in this morning mm-hmm. and uh, educating us a little bit on the uh, on another product that's out there in the forest industry.
0: Thank you, Brad, for having us, and thank you, folks, for willing to listen to us. Thank you All very right. much.
1: And don't forget, let the sawdust fly. We'll be on again uh, the end of September, the last Wednesday of September. So. Put it on your calendar because it's a great, uh, great segment. We always love having you guys in. Thanks.